Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is... AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. I'm a feminist, but this week somebody told me, a um, very spiritual person, and she told me that in ancient Egypt, um, high priestesses, when a young you know, teenage girl was of age where she started to get sexual urges, the high priestesses would take her into a room and they would show her how to pleasure herself, that pleasure was sacred, and they would teach her how to bring herself to orgasm, and her mother would be present, her grandmother would be present, and it would be seen as something really, really sacred, and that women would pass on to each other. And I'm a feminist, but I think we should bring it back. (laughs) I'm all for it. I just think, isn't that great? No. Can you imagine? (laughs) Okay. My mum would be like, Fatiha, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Honestly, I used to make bread when I was six and she would stand by me and I'd be making it because I had older brothers and sisters and I wanted to be like them. So they'd be making bread. I was born here and raised here, but like we, we did, we just had the culture and tradition continued and I'm grateful for it. We'd be making bread and if I got it wrong, she'd like pinch me on my arm, bruv. On my little, like my hand like that. Like, so can you imagine that if I got that wrong? <laughs> or can you imagine if you're doing it wrong? She goes, 
Get out the way, I'll do it. <laughs> I, okay. I'm a feminist, but I did think I don't want m- my mum and my gran there. But some, like, spiritual high priestesses, that would be good, wouldn't it? Does anyone... Is anyone with me on this? <laughs> that high priestesses teach girls how to pleasure themselves. Because I don't think girls know often. And it takes ages to learn. No, I cannot believe... Do you know, I think men should have that. That's what I think. Well, should... that's my next time a feminist butt, but you do one first. Oh, no, that's... Like, I just think men should have... It should be, it should be a GCSE. <laughs> you know? This is where it is. Oh. Don't be... Te- you know when you... Like, With their this... own or the... Or no, girls? you, with, with a female. Because they're always like, I'm like, that's wrong. You need to do it here. And they're like, no, no, I'm doing... No, you clearly fucking don't, bruv. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? And then it gets into a row, innit? And then I'm like, get the fuck out of here. You ain't having no couscous tonight. Sorry, I'm just fired up. <laughs> Do you have any I'm a feminist butts? Eh? Do you have an I'm a feminist butt? You um, okay, I'm a feminist but um, One time I was coming back from Morocco and I came by the boat. So I went from North Morocco and I crossed into southern Spain on the boat. And when I got there, I had to get a train. But the train, I couldn't get a taxi. So I saw these, a group of Moroccan men. And I just went there and cried and said, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what's going on. And then they took me for free. An occasional strategic tear. Didn't do anyone any harm. Absolutely. I think I have got similar stories to that that I don't want to share. Um, I'm a feminist, but the high priestesses apparently of ancient Egypt also used to bring boys in when they got of age to teach them their own pleasure and the pleasure of women. They didn't teach the women the pleasure of men because I think they just thought that was covered by patriarchy. But they did teach the boys. And I, I was thinking about that deeply. That's it. <laughs> No, I do. I was thinking about it. I was thinking, obviously, that would be illegal now for <laughs> women to call themselves high priestesses, whether they were or not, and take a fortune. I mean, obviously, there's very good reasons for why you must not do that, and that is illegal. And yet, <laughs> I think there is something, if it's done as if it's sake, like, don't do it. Definitely don't do it. But can we all not see? that a society, an ancient society that says this is important and this should be out in the open and this should be taught. And obviously, some of those boys might have been gay and not wanted to know. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so there's a, it's problematic, don't get me wrong, for <laughs> high priestesses to say to a 14-year-old boy, we've got something to show you, and then show that boy that. I get that. That's problematic. Don't do it. <laughs> But there's something wonderful about a society that says pleasure is normal, pleasure is sacred, pleasure is divine, pleasure is wonderful, and you'll be fumbling around on your own for years unless someone shows you. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think your GCSE idea is better than mine. High priestess idea, probably. (laughs) But in GCSE, why is there nothing about pleasure? I mean, they'll do erections, won't they, in biology, probably. Mm -hmm. But they'll cover erections, but they will not cover 
pleasure. Like, they won't sort of talk about those kinds of things. Uh, maybe they are more now. Anyway, I'm a feminist, but ancient Egypt. It had some good things. <laughs> like, they, they worshipped cats, and they understood pleasure, and I think probably I would have gone on quite well with Cleopatra. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I think perhaps I am Cleopatra reincarnated. <laughs> Live from King's Place in London, the Spotted Angel presents Kelsey Barnes with me, the Pastor's wife, Gus Price, Fatia Elgori, and our very special guest, Jazz Ahara and Hiba, talking about the Eugene The whole day's been exactly like that. I, I had a very, I, you can hear my voice is going because I'm a bit overworked. That's not your problem, you've paid for your ticket. <laughs> However, when we came in, we had technical difficulties. That's why you've been hanging around for so long. So presumably you're all drunk. <laughs> I hope so, because the more you drink, the funnier I am. And on top of the technical difficulties, which meant for the first, we, we just couldn't record it. And obviously doing a podcast you can't record is a downer. So we don't have enough episodes. We've got to keep the episodes up. You know, like we've got to keep the episodes up. You understand the pressure of keeping the episodes up. You do. You're wearing one of our T-shirts. You understand the pressure of keeping the episodes up. It's you particularly. I don't want to disappoint. You've bought the T-shirt. to disappoint you with no episodes on Monday. So um, we, we had to fix the technical difficulties. And I didn't even know if I was going to be able to heard everything. Um, and then, so my, very excitingly, I've got a brand new co-host tonight. Do you know Fatia? Yeah, she's really brilliant, and she's all over the telly and everything, so I was like, massive coup. And it is a massive coup to get Fatia, and I've never worked with her before, so I'm very excited, and I thought, you know, we'll, take, we'll be backstage together for about an hour to get our banter ready. Um, I've, I don't know her. Um, <laughs> her agent sent her to the King's Palace Chinese takeaway <laughs> in Welling, in Welling. So she's then at a Chinese takeaway in Welling going, oh, I thought the Guilty Feminist was a bigger deal than this. And <laughs> she, 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 I asked her on Instagram would she like to do it. And she said, oh my God, I'm such a fan of the show, blah, blah, blah. I'd love to do it. I'm so flattered you've asked. I'm like, well, I'm very flattered you'll do it, blah, 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 because she's getting a lot of telly, you know. And um, I'm a really big fan of hers. She's like, well, I'm a big fan of yours, big fan of yours, big fan of yours, big fan of yours, big fan of yours. She's at a Chinese takeaway in South London. <laughs> anyway, so she's jumped in a cab then said, oh, well, the driver says we're not going to be there till half past eight. So our show's meant to start at half past seven. I'll be honest with you, I rang Alison Spittle because she lives in Camden and she's, she's, she's one of my best regulars. I was like, Alison, Alison, tell me you're in Camden. She said, I'm in Ireland. I said, doesn't fucking help me, Alison, does it? Doesn't help me. All these years of friendship, Alison, all these years of you doing the Guilty Feminist and being a regular, doesn't help me you being in Cork or wherever you are. Canal man. Um, so um, God bless Alison and she is, she is the hero that would have swooped in. At this point, Tom said, well, look, don't worry because you can't even go on anyway because the technicals aren't worked out. You have got a few minutes to figure out who you're going to do this with. And he said, you could just do it alone. I said, I can't do it alone, and I'll tell you why I can't do it alone. The only other time that someone hasn't shown... And to be fair, that person told me, like, the night before, but it felt a bit late to be ringing other comedians and going, hey, do you want to do a gig? Felt like they would know that they were... You know, it just... I. <laughs> I just was like, I just thought I can do this on my own because what we were going to do is, um, the, the idea was a town hall 
where we tried to figure out a problem, but it was quite a dark, like hard subject, basically. And because I didn't have a comedian at the top with me doing that, I thought it was fine. I'll just go straight. I'll just do it on my own. I'll do a bit of comedy on my own. And then we'll bring the people in and we'll discuss things. And there were some people in the audience that night that had, it was at So Theatre. And at So Theatre, people have come for comedy. So it sort of was on the website a bit, but it wasn't enough that, to be fair to people who've brought their mates to see some funny feminist comedy. And then we were talking about a very difficult subject. And so they wrote and went, hey, we thought we'd come coming for a comedy show. And we, it was this very difficult show. And, uh, you know, there wasn't another comedian there. And I said, no, well, they dropped out. But I completely understand, and I feel for you, um, because if you told your friends, you know, I love the show, it's so funny, I'm from this part, lol, 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 stand-up comedy, it's hilarious. And sometimes they talk to some really interesting guests, they might change your gear, and then you come along and the whole thing is sort of a deep analysis of violence against women. You do, and your friends are looking at you like, that's not what you promised. And you're in the basement of So Theatre, which is pretty much exclusively a comedy venue, I could see... We were just piloting it because we thought well, then we'd do it in a more suitable, like, Sheldon's Town Hall or something. But we were just piloting the idea. And I said, oh, look, I completely understand it. I, I take your point. And a lot of people really enjoyed that show and they came up and they said they did. But I felt like that was a valid response. You've come out for something and you've got something else. So I said to those people, I'd love to offer you tickets for another night. <laughs> and that night is tonight. <laughs> And it's Refugee Week. So Tom said, brilliant. We're, you know, we, Rachel, who books like us, brilliant. So we're going to be talking about refugee voices. And Tom said, we'll just go out and do something on your own and then we'll do Refugee Week. I was like, I can't do that to those people. Because they're going to think it's personal. They're going to think I've deliberately done it to them. Because Fatty is incredibly funny comics. So I was like, they're going to have a great time tonight because we're going to do some of those parts. She's going to do some really funny stand-up. It's going to be really funny. It's going to be really funny. It's going to be funny. And then we will change the gears respectfully. But... Our guests for Refugee Week are really brilliant and funny anyway. But I just thought, this is going to look pointed. So what I said I'd do is come out and do this. <laughs> hopefully you found this funny. If you've, hopefully you found this funny. If you have come here specifically because you found another show spectacularly unfunny... <laughs> And it was not advertised as spectacularly unfunny. Hopefully this part, already you're thinking, well, this isn't a proven and last time. <laughs> Just give us a cheer if you're one of those people. No, did they not come? <laughs> Does, is, oh, you've come, you've come. Excellent, you have come. Thank God. Um, are you already enjoying this more than last time? Great, okay, great. So is it, is, are you enjoying it more because it's mostly been about you so far? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's very flattering, isn't it? Um, you, I mean, some people might write another email going, we just wanted to come along anonymously. <laughs> and this time, the entire show was focused on us and, we, and you, you made us point ourselves out. Um, and then everyone pointed and laughed. Uh, so, um, yeah, what I thought we could do so as not to waste more time, and you know, because you want to get home at a reasonable hour. Does anyone have a hard out tonight? Who, who's got a trainer or a babysitter? Just give us a cheer. Yeah. You have. Okay, all right. We'll do our best. But if you do need to leave before we're fully done, I'll give you tickets for another night. I don't know. <laughs> Eventually, my whole audience is just going to be pe- pissed off people from other nights going, this better be fucking better. Because the whole audience will be from a series of previous inadequate nights 
Um, yeah, so, you know, it's just Tom backstage said, this show seems cursed, do you want to cancel it and we can put it on another night? I was like, no, I'm here, the guests are here, it's Refugee Week. You can't just make Refugee Week six weeks from now, you can't do that. These good people have come out, they've schlepped to King's Place, some people just give us a show, have you booked a babysitter? Nobody. <laughs> Parents don't come out, do they, really? They're, you have, they've left them home alone. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, no, no need, no need. Well, how old are they? Someone's laughing hollowly, like they're six and eight, but they're too short to reach the phone. Um, so, good luck complaining about me. Um, give us a cheer if you've schlepped from somewhere. If it's like, if you feel like this was a bit of a journey, give us a cheer. Okay, where's, wh- who's come from where? Just guess, where have you come from? Epsom. Epsom. Well, that's, I've said that as if it's, as if I've, as if I can't believe it's a place. I realise now. <laughs> But that's not London, is it? That's ex- Essex. Sorry. sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> not, I'm not, I'm sorry. Now I'm sorry to Essex, I'm sorry. I... So you've come from Surrey? Anyone come from further than Surrey? Leeds! Leeds! You've come from Leeds, especially for the show? Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln, especially for the show? Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. Dublin. Where? Dublin. Dublin, not especially for the show? Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Because you know Alison Spittle is there. So, <laughs> this is a fuck up. Tom, people have come from Leeds and Dublin for this show. Glad we didn't cancel. Melbourne, you did not. Sorry? What? Not just for the show. Someone came from Belgium, darling. I'm glad we didn't cancel. How pissed off would you be if you'd come from Belgium? And they just went, we can't really get the recording working. We're not going to do it. Uh, can you imagine how pissed off you'd be? Imagine how many tickets I would owe. <laughs> and then I'd have to also pay for flights from Belgium again. Or I'd probably have to go to, to go to Belgium to do a show. Oh, thank God we did it. Tom, can you hear me? Do you, do you understand how close we... Ca- I mean, I said we can't cancel the show. People are already in the building. I don't think you can cancel the show, people in the building. But Tom was trying to be kind to me because he said, you know, I understand, you know, the pressures of entertaining. And... <laughs> He was trying to sort of say, look, you know, if you really... And I was like, no, no, no. And actually, the best way to get me to say, no, 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 I will bravely push forward is to say, you don't have to do this. If, if he'd said, well, you have to fucking do the show, there's no getting out of it, I would have been like, why? It's reverse psychology. He knows me well. Um, anyway, now everything's fine because Fatty is almost here. I've got brilliant guests. The recording's working. You never saw the panic. All, all you've seen is me glide out, looking like everything's fine. You didn't get to see the panic. And unfortunately, as I haven't mentioned it, you'll never know. <laughs> you'll never, ever know. Just give us a cheer if you think you've got a feminist job, and it could be paid or voluntary. Give us a cheer. Great. Give us a cheer if you think you've got an unfeminist job, paid or voluntary. Presumably that one's paid. No one does an unfeminist job voluntarily, do they? Not what some people do, but not the ones that come here. Um, uh, Give us a cheer if you think your job is neither feminist nor unfeminist. Give us a cheer if you don't have a job. Excellent. And you sound happy about that as well. Are you thrilled? Are you a student? Excellent. Look how happy she is. She's just like, I haven't started yet. The thing is, you haven't started yet. It's all ahead of you. What's, what are you studying? Um, I'm doing A-levels. You're doing A-levels? 
What are you doing for A-levels? Chemistry. You're doing chemis- just chemistry A-levels? No, and- RA. And chemistry and RE? Yeah. She's going to build a Frankenstein. <laughs> you just know it. Yes, I know it's Frankenstein's monster. Um, uh, whatever. Um, okay, people who say they've got um, the feminist job, just give us a chip if you think you've got, you might be a candidate for the most feminist job in the room. Yes, come on, confidence. Loads of people went, yeah, I've got a feminist job. And now I've said most feminist job in the room. People have gone, by no means. You don't know what the other jobs are. You don't know what the metric is. So someone has said they think they've got the most. So let's start there. What's yours? I don't, and I also don't want to impose a gender on you. What, can I ask what your gender is? I'm auditor. You're an auditor? Yes. Is that a gender now? Because it... <laughs> Listen, I've come off Twitter for a while. It could be. You're an auditor? You're a cis man. You're a cis male auditor. And yet when I said who's got the most feminist job in the room, the only person with the confidence to go woo, I, I'm going to ask what you're counting, and it better be something incredibly feminist. Are you, in fact, counting patriarchies or feminists? It better be one of those. What do you count? What do you audit? Uh, medical devices. Medical devices. Well, they could be feminist. What do they do? Okay, so you're a cis man who counts medical devices. Was there a reason? Did you think I was looking at you, or did you just... No, you, did you misunderstand the question? Yes, okay. All right. Listen, I don't want less confidence for you, sir. I want more confidence for us. I, I have no desire to take your confidence away. Um, and who else reckons they got the most feminist job? And now the bar's there, I think... People are encouraged, don't they? People are encouraged. And you've done us a great favour. Because sometimes people start with too high a bar and everyone else is too shy to say anything. But what we've done there is we've got a lovely, solid, low bar. Um, anybody else? Yes? What's yours? I'm a mental health nurse. Mental health nurse. Are you working for the NHS? Yes. Wow, I'd say that's pretty feminist. <laughs> anyone else got anything that they think... Uh, no one wants to say after a mental health nurse, do they now? Yes? What's yours? Um, so I work in international development. International development? But? But specifically, gender equality and social, social inclusion. Okay, great. Who do you do that for? Um, NGOs. NGOs. So you go in and you go, I'd like to consult about the development of... Equality for programs. programs. And you run programs. Where do you do that? You go around the world doing that. Amazing. You don't. Oh, you don't go around the world. You make other people go around the world. They're already in their part of the world. You just call, you phone that part of the world and go, I found someone who lives next door to you. You should hire them. And then you set it up. You set up the program. Sort of. <laughs> Is that the top line? We help them. You help them. Um, making, making a program to make progress. Specifically with gender and other kinds of inclusion. Very, very, very exciting. <laughs> Anybody else reckon they've got a very feminist job? Yes, what's yours? 
An anti-sexual harassment campaign. What's it called? It's on the tube. And what's it called? There's, listen, if you're listening internationally, there's no higher honour in London than being on the tube. <laughs> so people are like, it's proper, it's on the tube. Because we know how much it costs to advertise on the tube. So we know that it's a big deal if it's on the tube. And then people also go, there's nothing, there's nothing more famous than being on the tube. Because we don't all watch the same TV anymore. Everyone's on a different screen. People are, I'm on TikTok, I'm on Channel 4, I'm on this, I'm on that. Um, I'm on Netflix, whatever. But being on the tube, if you live in London, everyone knows you. Everyone knows you. Being on the tube in London is like being on the telly used to be before, like in, about 15 years ago. So let's just ask, what's the name of the campaign and what's the slogan? So, oh, people have heard it, it's famous. Okay. If you're listening at home, sorry, what was your name? Is it okay to say your name? Danielle said there's a big words like staring, touching, so looking at different ways in which someone might feel harassed. Of Say you're a woman alone on the tube and a man is just like really fully staring at you, or even if you're not alone, someone's just really staring at you, it can feel very intimidating. Did you help design that campaign? You led the creative on that campaign, and everybody loves it, and it's very... Oh. We should get you on the Guilty Feminist to talk about that campaign, I think. Yeah, okay. So, Danielle, can we get in touch with you to talk about that campaign? Because I think that would be really good. Um, and, like, what the thinking behind it was. And, and do you know, has it had any impact? Yeah. Um, so, since we launched, we launched in August. A few men staring as well, I'm asking. God, sorry, I've just got a bit of hay fever, so I'm, I'm not crying about this. I'm, sh I'm just <laughs> trying not to sneeze. So, sexual harassment went up 500% by from when to when? Oh people, are, oh, people reporting since the campaign. So it could look like your campaign has made it 500 <laughs> times worse, but in fact, it's just that people go, well, hold on a minute, they're doing that thing on the poster. Ah, so it's made people aware of what they are allowed to say hey that's not cool I don't want that or that's actually really intimidating me or I, I've had to get off a stop early because I felt frightened and now instead of thinking well I'm not I'm just going to sound stupid if I say anything because like a man looked at me oh you know like he's it's a free world he's allowed to look at me but if it made you feel very uncomfortable then you can go and say hey this happened and they know that now because of your campaign Danielle big round of applause for Danielle <laughs> Um, does anyone think they've got the least feminist job? <laughs> Give us a cheer if you think you've got the least. Yes, great. What's yours? Uh, I work in HR at a beer company. HR at a beer company, yes! <laughs> What's that like? Um, Do you need her posters a lot? <laughs> Is it a very male dominated environment? Yeah. Not to project stuff onto beer, but let's yeah. be honest. It's an old boys club, but you're in HR, so could you not hire fewer old boys? No, I have a succession plan. You have a succession plan? Have a succession plan. <gasps> you wrote a succession plan. Are you Logan Roy? 
oh my God, this is so exciting. So it's like a beer company in London, but you are Logan Roy deciding who goes next. And they're all trying to be like, I'm Shiv, I'm, Ro I'm Roman. What? A little less dramatic than that. Well, it couldn't be any more dramatic than that. Um, okay, so you're doing stealth feminism, Trojan horse feminism, in an unfeminist place. She's finding feminism in a hopeless place. Excellent. <laughs> Um, anybody else think they've got an unfeminist job? Yeah. Go on. <laughs> Go on, get it off your chest. We can't just hear from people running global gender equality campaigns and allowing women to step forward and report sexual harassment. Come on, what's the other side of that coin, baby? I have very rich consultant doctors who say that. Oh! Boom! <laughs> Boom! Okay, so if, you, if you're at home, uh, our audience member there said, I help very rich, and she was clear about the very, very rich consultant doctors to save tax. I, what was that? It's not illegal, she hastens to add. Asterisk. What she is doing is above board. There are things in this country that are illegal that should be more legal than that. Do you know what I mean? Like, we still can't smoke marijuana. But what we can do is get up every single day and help a rich private doctor <laughs> to be that little bit richer, take a little bit of money away from a school. Um, yeah, no. Does it pain you to do that? Or do you just go, look, this is just my job. Uh, it's how my life has gone. Uh, do you do anything to carbon offset the feminism there? <laughs> Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, I meant like, do you volunteer in a shelter? What you meant is, yes, I steal money from them. And I... I, I genuinely just meant, you know, if you've got a job like that, sometimes you just think, oh, fuck those guys. I'm going to do something for, pro bono for the NHS. But what you meant is, I donate a large chunk of their money without them knowing to a local shelter. Amazing work. Amazing work. Feminism comes in unlikely, unlikely places. Sometimes you could do the most feminism in an unfeminist place. That's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. Okay, it's 8.15, so Fatty is not going to be here yet. So what we thought we could do is usually what we do is we start with some banter, some stand-up comedy. Then we gear change and bring out the guests. So if the guests have something more serious or, you know, dimensional to say... We, we, we top load it with comedy so you laughed at it you think well, we've had a lot of comedy for our money now and then we're like no no we need to hear about something genuinely feminist right um, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to put our more dimensional interesting conversation at the top and this is what we call in the industry ask about tip <laughs> but but given Fatia who's a wonderful comedian and a lovely person was sent to a Chinese restaurant in Welling <laughs> that apparently wasn't even fucking open. <laughs> Insult to industry. She couldn't even get a fortune cookie, but if she had, we, we know what it would have said. You're in the wrong place, mate. Um, and the thing is, this way, we can think of the comedy as dessert. Right? So this is, this is main meal and then pudding, okay? Are you okay with that? Yeah. Yes, okay. People who came especially not to see this, do you feel this part about the tax and stuff has been funny enough 
that we're good to go. And I never would have said a single thing to you or about you had this not gone wrong. I was thrilled you said you'd come back. It felt like a lovely exchange. We're like, oh, we'll and we were like, no, that's absolutely fair. Shall we? Yeah, lovely. Oh, that's really kind of you. Yeah, felt like a lovely exchange. You know, there's not that many lovely exchanges in life. If someone complains, normally there's a bit of, you know, and I always try and make it as nice as possible and just go, let's just, just, just make it lovely because clearly... And I, so I just thought, you know, and I just said, oh, come and say hi afterwards at the bar. It'd be lovely. It'd be lovely. It'll all be lovely, I said. It'd be lovely. It'd be lovely. Is it lovely? Lovely. Lovely. Thank you. Oh. Okay. Um, all right. Hello, Guilty Feminists. We're recording five more live episodes and you can come and see us at the Turner Gallery in Margate on the 9th of July, supporting local charity Power of Women Thanet. We're at King's Place in London on the 24th of July and we're at Soho Theatre on the 11th and the 12th of August. And we're live from Chichester on the 21st of August. I'll be in Chichester doing a Guilty Feminist episode because I've written a play called Never Have I Ever, which will be on in Chichester at the Minerva for the whole of September. It stars Alexandra Roach, Ahmed Shah, Greg Wise and a very own Guilty Feminist, Susan McComa. And it's about money, sex, power, politics and running a restaurant. You can also join our Patreon to get ad-free episodes. And if you're passing iTunes or Spotify and you felt like leaving us a five-star review we would love you forever it helps other people find the podcast as does you telling someone and now back to that very podcast are we ready for our guests our first guest is the founder of asylum speakers a media platform amplifying voices on those impacted by displacement she's also a motivational speaker writer and podcaster and has become a leading voice on the topic of migration speaking everywhere from tedx to the un Please welcome to the stage the incredible Jazzahara! Hello. Um, Jazz is joined by the first openly trans filmmaker from Pakistan. Now living in London and seeking asylum in the UK, she uses her powerful voice and her work to amplify the voices of the LGBTQ plus community and those with lived experience of displacement. Please welcome to the stage, Hiba! much for joining us. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Jazz, on this strangest of nights. I'm very excited, although I'm a bit offended that we're not the dessert. <laughs> well, no, because you're too substantial to be pudding. Pudding is frippery. Dessert is frippery. It's just like, you know, it's like jelly and cream. You are... You are I sh- we're meaty, are we? I was going to say meat and potatoes, except that's going to upset the vegans. So, <laughs> this is... Welcome to my life. Um... Uh, word choice is everything. Uh, so, Jazz, um, I'm so excited about this book, this podcast, what you're doing. Uh, thank you for joining us. And Hibba, I'm so thrilled to meet you and uh, to we're going to be hearing lots of your story tonight as well. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting today. Oh, delighted to have you. Uh, this is for Refugee Week and we're very, very, very thrilled and honoured to have you. Can you tell us, Jazz, about Asylum Speakers? What started this off? Yes, I can. It started almost eight years ago to the day. And it was actually one specific person who really changed the course of my life in 2015. And to give you a bit of context about that, I'm the oldest of four kids in my family. 
And my mum and dad were experiencing in 2015 something quite common, I think, empty nest syndrome. The youngest one was going to uni and uh, or moving out and they were like, we're going to have no kids at home anymore. What are we, we going to do? So they started looking into fostering or adoption and they live in Kent and they found out that there were a lot of unaccompanied minors arriving to Kent from the Calais jungle. And so as they went down this journey of becoming foster parents, they started to understand more and more. And they were very open to taking on a child that was a little bit older and maybe didn't speak English, maybe was coming from another country. And towards the end of that journey, that nine months that it took for them to become foster parents, my mum had a dream. And in the dream, she saw a boy. And the boy, she described him as having a beautiful smile. And she very clearly had the message that he was on his way to us. And a couple of weeks later, they were approved as foster parents. And I'd love to read you guys the tiniest extract out of this book. I'd love to hear this. To explain the next part of the journey. Okay, let me find my... uh... Sorry. So this is from uh, a book called Asylum Speakers and is the stories as told by various asylum seekers. Exactly, exactly. But this is part of the story of how this came to be. So, I remember the phone call. It was a Sunday morning in the summer of 2015, and I was having breakfast at my parents' house in Kent. My mum was half-heartedly flicking through the Sunday magazine that came with the paper, chatting to me about my week. When the home phone rang, it was my dad who ran to answer it. Standing in front of the window in the dining room, he was backlit, but I could see the silhouette of him holding the phone between his ear and his shoulder, leaning across the dining table to grab a notepad and a pen. Meseret, he repeated, slowly and carefully, writing the letters down onto the pad, M-E-S-E-R-E-T. My mum cast the magazine aside. Both of us sat up straighter, listening carefully. He's 12 years old, my dad repeated, nodding. From Eritrea, speaks no English. My mum and I exchanged an excited look, a mixture of, shit, is this really happening? And, yes, it's finally happening. It felt like ages before my dad put the phone down. That was Kent Social Services, he said, confirming what we already knew. They found a boy at the Folkestone Eurotunnel terminal. He had been hiding underneath the train. He's from Eritrea, seems healthy apart from a knee injury, and he's probably very hungry and tired. What do you guys think? He said, looking directly at my mum. That's him. She said, that's him. And so that summer, Mez became my little brother, and he's the first of four foster brothers that I now have from Eritrea, Sudan, Afghanistan and Libya. There's eight of us now, four plus four, and all the boys still live at home, and I'm living there at the moment. It's a madhouse. (laughs) The stories I've got for you guys, honestly. But he changed the course of my life and all of our lives, and he opened my eyes to an issue that I knew very little about at the time. And since then, I started working in Calais, and my work went on to expand to... I quit my job. I started... I couldn't focus on anything else but what was unfolding there at the time, and I worked in Greece, I worked in Turkey, and I met lots of amazing people over the years. I started a podcast called Asylum Speakers to amplify these stories, and as of yesterday, they are now published in this book. Wow. 
that's such a moving story that really brought tears to my eyes because just that sort of acceptance and welcoming and and how frightened that child must have been hiding under a train on his own. How old is Hermes now? He's 20 now. Wow. Yeah, actually, and he might have just turned 21. And, oh, my God, I, so... I don't even know where to start with Mez, right? Because we had a launch party for this book yesterday and he was on the panel. And he's so chill, right? He just... I was so nervous because so many people that we know and like, oh, just loads of people there. And he was just like, oh. he, he messaged me beforehand, a little bit like today. He was like, oh, Jazz, I'm in, I'm in traffic. And I was like, well, it's quite important, Mez. Like, <laughs> you're about to be on my panel. <clears throat> but he doesn't rush for anything. But he has just turned 21, and him and my Sudanese foster brother, they have been working for Deliveroo uh, while studying for a long time to, to earn some money. And they've just opened a shop in our hometown of Tunbridge, uh, the International Food Centre. It's a shop and a halal butchers uh, with the aim of bringing world foods and foods that are difficult to get in the area uh, that remind people of home um, to our, our little town. And it's been a really amazing journey to see because they're so young. And, I, you know, I remember saying to them, like, when they were looking into this, this space on the high street, but do you guys, you know, you've never, you've never run a shop before. Or like, you're, like, you're still studying. And they were like, oh, we'll figure it out. You know, we've done harder things. And it's true. They're just, they're just doing it. Yes. Um, I think that's, it's really wonderful to hear. There's a family I know and one of the teenage boys because he's a refugee and his English is limited. His, his, his English sounds amazing to me. He sounds like any London teenager to me. But for studying stuff like Shakespeare, um, he was told, well, you'll never be able to do the career you want because you have to pass the exams this year and if you don't do well enough, it's just you can't sit them again. And I just said to him, that's absolutely not true. It's so much harder to get out of a war zone to here than it is to get from here to dentistry. <laughs> if you want to be a dentist, you will be a dentist. I don't care if we have to pay for the exams to be done again. Anyone can pay to do a GCSE. I could go and do a maths GCSE if I wanted to. You just have to pay a fee. Would I pass? Obviously not. But I, <laughs> if I really wanted to pass a maths GCSE, I could do it. Like I would, you'd get a tutor and we'd figure it out. And it's, of course, unreasonable to expect someone who's been here two years to be able to analyse Shakespeare at any level when most British people who've been here all their lives can't analyse Shakespeare at any level. But also, who gives a fuck if their dentist doesn't know about iambic pentameter? Like, this is ridiculous. And I was like, no, 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 there are ways around this. And I read it, it went online, and there are specific dentistry scholarships, refugees and things like that. And I just think that limitation, I was like, we will make it happen if that's what you really, really want. We will make that happen. And I just think that attitude, often I think, if you've got through such hardships, like the asylum speakers in your book, you end up thinking, well, I can do anything then, and it can make you extremely bold. Not always, not for everyone. Some people, the experience can be so harsh, it can be crushing. Mm -hmm. But I, it's not an uncommon thing for refugees to go, well, while I'm studying, I'll start a shop of international foods. And, you know, we'll, why not? Let's, let's get this done. Let's, let's have a go at it. What are some remarkable stories in, in the book that you would like people to read? Oh, I mean, there was only supposed to be 30, but there's 31 because I keep meeting people. And I only met Hibba after I'd submitted the manuscript for this book. Otherwise, she would 
definitely also been in it. So it's very difficult to choose. There might be some people that you know in this book. Has anyone seen the film The Swimmers uh, on yeah. Netflix? So Yusra and Sara Mardini, those sisters are in the book. Um, Sara's been on the show. Love that. Uh, Sara's a good friend of mine and an amazing, obviously that story very much is yeah. close to my heart. Do you guys know the story? Does everyone know the story? Um, it's about two young Syrian women who were professional swimmers and their dinghy, um, they, were, they were in a dinghy with other refugees and the motor broke and so they got out and swam with the dinghy and saved everybody's lives. And of course, you know, some very traumatic things have happened to Sarah since especially. Uh, but their story is so inspirational. You just think, where does that come from? But sometimes it comes from, we have to, we don't have any other choice, you know. And to go back to what you were just saying about that attitude, I met a young guy called Shikali from Afghanistan in a camp in Greece, and he had one leg after a car bomb in, in Afghanistan. And he said to me a quote that I've, said in, I've written in the book here. It's that he said, um, possible is easy for me. I'm not looking for the possible. I'm looking for the impossible now. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Really great, yeah. But I, I think of all the stories, the first one is Mez's story. Mm-hmm. And that one is really, I guess, profound and close to home. And that's what has felt quite vulnerable in the last few days as this book goes out into the world, is sharing these parts of our family and how we've all grown as a result of him joining it and the three other boys and how our perspectives have expanded and it's been a really wonderful experience for all of us. Mm. Um, is, how much does Miss feel like your brother now? Same as my other two, really, very much so. And it was yesterday what made me cry is he, he uh, pointed out my mum in the audience and he said something about his foster family and then he said, oh, I don't really like calling them my foster family, they're just my family. And... Listening to him speak, and he's very keen to share his story. He loves to talk about Eritrea and also to educate on the journey that he took. Because when he started our local comprehensive school in year nine, people would ask him where he was from, and he said, Eritrea. And I'll be honest, before I met Mez, I didn't know anything about Eritrea and what was happening there until he kind of made me aware of the fact that there's compulsory military service for lifelong military service for, for everybody. So, yeah, so many terrifying stories come out of Eritrea. Yeah, and also very few don't. There's more foreign journalists in jail in Eritrea than anyone else in the world. And so he really opened my eyes, and for him it's also been important to share those stories in schools. He went back to his school after he'd left to tell the story of how he got there once he spoke English and once he'd left. And he wanted to make it easier for people who were arriving to his school with a similar background of displacement in the future to integrate. Because for him to get to this place of safety where he could go to school and go home and not have to worry about survival like everybody else at his school. He'd had to cross the Sahara Desert. He'd had to cross the Mediterranean Sea. And all of us know from recent news what that could look like. Mez's boat also capsized. 
He lived in the Calais jungle and he hid underneath the Eurotunnel train to get to the UK. And it's important for him that the students in his school and beyond, we give lots of talks in schools together, do have more education about this because lots of us and lots of children especially have never maybe met somebody with a background of displacement firsthand. And when you do, it certainly changed my life. I think it's these personal stories and these connections that change the idea of a refugee asylum seeker or an immigrant into a person, a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or a son or a daughter. And you, you're having now asylum speakers go into schools. You said that you have a goal on this. What's your goal? Yes, it's a big goal, but an important one. And it is for the 10 million school-aged children in the UK to all have heard a story like this firsthand. This book is a, it's more than a book. It's a, it's a tool for addressing some of those common misconceptions that we have around migration today. And it feels very important with the rhetoric that we see so often in our media mm. and pushed by our governments. So through these personal stories, through these incredible people, we're really challenging those narratives. And if people hear it directly, if someone comes into their school, it's going to just shift what might have been in their mind from what they've read in a tabloid or maybe heard in their neighbourhood suddenly they're like, oh, well, yeah, but Mez was like this. And I think that's, that's an incredibly powerful goal. And it's amazing how much having Mez and your other brothers come into your life has completely changed your life. Yeah, and I really see this in schools, right, Deborah? Because Mez, he's really good at football. So all the boys, like that already, like that's... And, and he's also very handsome. So all the girls are like... So it just, it works, right? It just... <laughs> so I, I really do think that now those schools that Mez has been to, when those kids do hear these words or read these terms that have been hijacked, like illegal immigrant, refugee, asylum seeker, and we've forgotten the meaning of these words in our society right asylum seeker literally means seeking safety but somehow they've been twisted and so if we can replace those with an image of someone like mez it becomes very clear that there's nothing scary about him that's wonderful hiba you're not in this book because you were someone that jazz met after the book went to print but you're going to be in the second volume yeah um, can you tell us something about your story now, given that we can't read about it in the book immediately? Yeah, my name is Hiba, and uh, I'm first trans filmmaker in Muslim world. And uh, I'm from Pakistan. And uh, if I go back to my childhood, and the if I found a first prosecution I faced in my life, there was, I was only five years old, and I was in a mosque. My parents sent me to the mosque to uh, read holy book, and uh, I was beaten by this mosque teacher because who I am, because I was sat in the wrong uh, side, because I sat with the female row. So from there, my journey got started, being a transformed man. I been from different schools to just 
complete my education and every day I was feeling like this day is last day in this school because I was bullied by my schoolmates, by my teachers. And at the end, like, when I realized, like, um, there is a something different, I discussed with my moms, with my brother. And my moms and my brother, I found them, like, very special for me because they was not the parents like the other's parents treat their trans children. They took me to the doctor. It was very hard for them to describe and understand my feelings, but my brother, he really accepted me. He said, uh, we are fully okay, and uh, it's your life, whatever you want, and uh, like now you are my sister, and uh, I love more than before. So, so, but same time, like uh, I was very creative. I was used to write poetry. I was doing sketching and paintings. And uh, as I, I, I was a filmmaker, I started my degree in filmmaking. And uh, I started work on uh, gender and equality uh, thing uh, through my camera frame. But there was some uh, organizations, the religious organization, there was pretending and uh, they was making a room, like through rumors, like um, uh, promoting Western and LGBTQ agenda in Pakistan, which I, which I wasn't. And even like one day I was new that there is a news like I organized a LGBTQI party in American embassy. And even I never been in American embassy in my life. <laughs> so. It was very wonderful for me, and I discussed with my brother, and uh, he come out, he said, like, he's very scared. And after some days, like, I've, I received a threat call, then I received an email. My brother, like, he said, you have to fly immediately from maybe in Dubai or somewhere. And at the end, like, uh, they were so powerful. They was in the government as well. They was in uh, establishment as well. Their hand was everywhere. They was helping uh, Afghan Taliban from Pakistan on the name of donation to helping children and women. So uh, they, they, they killed my brother, they killed my family. And uh, it's a very hard story I can't right now because it's a very busy day for me today. I have been my art exhibition and I shared my story already in another mm. podcast. So it's very hard to go in the detail. But I, I want to come at the end, like, I was receiving a call, threat calls, and I, even in my own country, I don't have a space to live. I was hiding myself. I was from Islamabad to Lahore, Lahore to Karachi, and in different cities. And I applied for a visa for UK. And when I got my visa, they was threatening me, you cannot fly from any airport from Pakistan. We have our uh, people appointed everywhere. You cannot fly. And, uh, but with some of friend, friend help, the guy was in the airport security force, helped me to get in the plane. I came to the United Kingdom and the new chapter of my life is started. Tell us about your art exhibition, Hibba. Oh yeah. So uh, it's, uh, 
the art exhibition was in uh, Autograph Gallery. So I used to make sketch and uh, paintings. So this is about uh, uh, hostilized environment, being asylum seeker in UK and uh, through my sketching and paintings because it's very hard like being a asylum seeker and being LGBTQ person, living in mixed environment and uh, living on six pounds for three meals, which is very hard. So the awareness through my sketch. Uh, and where can we see that? Can Is it the autograph gallery? Oh, uh, yeah, it's an autograph gallery. In the yeah. autograph gallery. Do you have anything online people can look at? Uh, I don't think so, like uh, they put it on, online, yeah. Okay, so if people want to see it, go to the Autograph Gallery. But as you build a, a, a profile and there's more work uh, to be shared, please get in touch and we can share it on our socials and yeah. maybe have you back if you have another exhibition that you want to talk about. Yeah. Because we'd love to see it. Um, and we'll, we can put in the show notes where the Autograph Gallery is and where people can go. Yeah. Um, where, so, so this audience knows, how long is the exhibition on for? Uh, it's going to be, because it's a refugee week, so it's going to be for three days. Oh, for three days. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this audience can go, but maybe the podcast audience who listen at home can't. Yeah. So where is the Autograph Gallery? What's the, what's the closest uh, to you? Do you know? Yeah, it's uh, right near to Old Street Station. Old Street Station. Yeah, so it's the Autograph uh, Gallery at Old Street Station. Yeah. It's on for three days. So does anyone work around there, or can anyone get there in the next three days? Yeah. Yay! Yes. Go and see it. Tell the people that you, you saw it on The Guilty Feminist uh, and you saw Hibba speak um, and post about it as well. Um, Hibba, we really, really wish you well with your asylum seeker claim. Thank we you. really, really hope that, um, and I'm sure that they will, Thank you. Uh, give you indefinite leave to remain. And if there's anything we can help you with, if you're living on six quid a day, if there's anything we can help you with, presumably you're not allowed to work, so you can't sell paintings at the moment. Yeah, it's a very hard thing. Like, uh, I'm allowed to work on specific a job occupation. Oh, you are? And But my field is not in that list. And I cannot work oh. as a care worker. Is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say that you would like to say? Yeah. I would like to say, like, uh, I recently, uh, I was the part of the film Mother, and the guy, Hassan Akkad, uh, was the director of that film. And I was an artist, and I was making live sketching of their film. And also the behind the scene, the film called The First Drop of Rain. I was the co-directed uh, by uh, Mabel and me. And, uh, the First it's very Drop lovely. of Rain. Yeah. Where can we see The First Drop of Rain? It's Water Bear is online uh, uh, platform. So an so, online platform called Water Bear. Yeah. Um, check it out. It's called The First Drop of, of Rain. rain. Yeah. Um, and it's a short film that you co-directed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I'm also the part of the film as an artist. So yeah. you're in the film as an artist as yeah. well. Yeah. And you're also in Hassan Akkad's film. Yeah. Um, what was that film called? Uh, Mother. 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 Mother, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Tom, cut that out. Uh, <laughs> I, knew, I knew it was called something. I couldn't remember what it was. Um, obviously, I knew it was called something. That seems <laughs> obvious. Um, so, but say that again, because I think Hassan listens to this show. Um, uh, so, uh, and you're also part of Hassan Akkad's and you're also part of Hassan Akkad's film, Matter. Yeah. So if you'd like to see Hibba, watch Matter, or The First Drop of Water, uh, and you can see more. Um, we really... First drop of rain. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. 
the first or the first drop of rain. First drop of rain and matter are the two short films you need to be watching. Hiba, you have been absolutely a, a wonderful guest and we hope that you come on more and maybe we could have a, a screening of your film or as you do more films. Um, in the meantime, we really wish you every success with your, uh, with your visa. Um, when should you hear? Should we know soon? Uh, I hope for the best. Yeah, because whenever I ask for my lawyer, the home of reply that like there's a very big black lock. So we are just waiting as soon as possible. You're not implying that the home yeah. office is in any way <laughs> slow or difficult, exactly. I hope. Um, yeah, listen, I, I really, we, we only wish wonderful things for you, Hiba. And we're, we're just, thank you so much for telling us your story and we thank know you. how difficult it must be and we appreciate you sharing it. Thank you so much. Jazz O'Hara, where can we get Asylum Speakers, the book, and or listen to the podcast? You can get it anywhere you listen to your podcast, anywhere you buy your books, pretty much. It's a beautiful looking book as well. It's a hardback, uh, and it's got beautiful pictures on it, in it. Uh, I think it's a great gift. So it's really what everyone you know should be getting for Christmas this year, for example. Um, Especially those family members who have those questions like, why don't they stay in their first safe country? Or why are refugees all men? All the answers are in this book. Yes, and they're not all men, and often the first safe country isn't safe, etc., etc. Hashtag not all men. That's the only time you can use that hashtag. (laughs) Um, Jazz, is there anything you you came to say you didn't get to say? I think so. I think we've covered it. Great. All right. Well, please pick up a copy of Asylum Seekers and and listen out for the podcast. Um, uh, Maybe subscribe to it. Uh, Send the book to a friend. Give the book to a particularly racist uncle. Um, I've actually thought of something. Yes. The most recent episode of Asylum Speakers podcast, Hibba shares her full story. Oh, wonderful. It's especially for Pride Month, and it's a very, very powerful account of what happened to you in Pakistan, Hibba, and I was very grateful to you for sharing it. So if you do want to hear more, that's a good place to listen. Excellent. Big round of applause for Jazza O'Hara and Hiba. Wonderful guests. You can just, yeah, it's, it's not only what we do. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Would you like to meet our co-host for this evening? <laughs> Please put your hands together and make incredible hooing noises for the wonderful Fatia El Ghori. Usually the co-host sits there. Poor Fatia. So I told them the story about how you were sent to a Chinese takeaway in, in South London. And it was fucking closed, bruv. No food. I was like, what's this? So you couldn't even get a little sweet and sour? No. For the, for the Uber? I couldn't. I wanted to burn that place to the ground. I swear. I was like... It feels like an inappropriate response, given I think it was actually the fault of the administration... <laughs> Not yes. the actual Chinese restaurant. No, who no, never advertised that no. they were open. <laughs> they were like, mate, we're we're always we're always closed tonight, and uh, I don't even know what day of the week it is. But we they they said they said we're always closed on it. I'm, I want to say Wednesday. <laughs> is it Wednesday? It's Thursday, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, well, Thursday. that's just not fair because the week's going to us. They're like, we're always closed on a Thursday. Um, well, listen, thank you for making the schlep from King's Palace to King's Place. Thank you. The King's Palace sounds grander. But it turns out, no. Turns no. Out King's Place is way grander. Yeah, and this is like it's 20 like... minutes from my house. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, and yeah, I had to awful. go, like, it was in South fucking London. <laughs> I hate South London. You're going to hear about that later. Oh. Um, but, yeah, and I, yeah, it was just a nightmare. I'm so sorry. And sorry, no, guys. It wasn't your it fault. It wasn't her fault. It wasn't her fault. Wasn't, I, wasn't it Fatty's wasn't my fault either. It was my fucking agent's fault. <laughs> I, 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 and I did the first thing I said when Fatia messaged me saying... Because she was like, I'm actually running a bit late at first. And then she was like, I'm going to be a tiny bit later, but no later than seven. And then ten past seven, I was like, are you, are you nearby? And then she went... Uh, the next message I got was... I'm in South London, and I was like, uh, uh, why? And then she said, gone to the wrong place. And I, I did say, the first thing I said is don't panic, because in those situations, you're just thinking, well, everything's, you know, and it seems so much bigger than it is, but it, there's always a way of resolving it, and here, here's the way. We've already interviewed the guests. They were lovely. Um, this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which oh, undermine them. Um, I'm Deborah Francis-White. With me is Fatia El Ghori, and we are talking about World Refugee Day. I'm sure it's weak. weak. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's weak. It is. It's, weak. Can I, it, it's definitely weak. It, 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 is, is, it is. I'm doing another gig tomorrow for it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Where is that out of interest? Um, oh, so, no, sorry, not tomorrow, Sunday. I'm doing South Bank. I'm hosting Are it. you doing South Bank? Yes. <laughs> or is it, in fact, North Bank? No. <laughs> it really is South Bank, I promise. Okay. All right, all right. Tomorrow I'm going up north, God help me. I've got to do tour support. Anyway, sorry, why am I telling you this? No, no, I'm, no, no, I'm interested. Um, what's the South Bank show? We should come see that. Um, I ain't got a clue, but it's on Sunday. Honestly, but it's on Sunday. It's on Sunday, yeah. okay. How are you feeling about World Refugee Week? Um, I like it. I think it's... A... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what are you doing for it? Are you doing any... Are you, are you doing... Are you... Are you, is, are you... 
Is this this and the South Bank show? Is that what you're doing for one yes, week? Yes, that's what I'm doing. But I um yeah, that's what I'm doing. Uh, but I like. <laughs> I feel like I want to have I want to have someone who is displaced, like for dinner and like connect and you know mm. chill, do something that's really really personal. That's what you want to do, or you yeah. want me to do that? <laughs> do you no, I want, I don't think I can do it this week because I've got oh. a wedding this weekend. But I think I'm going to oh. organise it this week. <laughs> Yeah. Because as long as you organise it on World Refugee Week, I think it's still World Refugee Week's still done its job, hasn't it? The dinner doesn't have to be on World Refugee. In fact, it shouldn't be. World Refugee Week should be the thing that makes you go, oh, "Fuck, I haven't had any refugees for dinner. I'm gonna connect, reach out, connect." That's what it should do. So everyone here, you need to make some kind of lovely plan where you're going to support a refugee foundation or organisation. If you can't think of one, I'm I'm a big fan of Say It Loud, the Say It Loud Club. They work with LGBTQ plus refugees. They always need help. They need volunteers. They need money. They need people telling everyone about them. Choose Love um, is another wonderful organisation which I absolutely adore. They're, they're Choose Love's big. Uh, um, say that club's small. Has anyone else got one? Have you got any anything of choice for World Refugee Week um, that you'd like no, to tell us about? Mm, mm, well, the one, the one. So who I'm doing the thing? They uh, yeah, funny, isn't it? <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> that was hilarious. So the people that I'm doing the thing for at South Bank, they're called yeah. Counterpoints. Lovely. And they help, um, they, don't, they facilitate, big word, facilitate refugees that were in the arts before they came here and they oh, help them to continue. Yeah. Amazing. So there's loads of like, so the one I'm doing, it's all the poet, there's poets, there's comedians, spoken oh. word, and they're all refugees. I so they promote. I want to do that. It's called Counterpoints. It's really good. I've done, I've worked with them a lot. We could do like a them. crossover show. That'd be amazing. Yeah, exactly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see okay. if they want to do something together. Yeah, no, they're lovely. Yeah. And that's at the South Bank on Sunday? Yes. What time? We're doing it. I don't know. Sorry. Okay, I'm going to. so sorry. Okay, is the, is there someone here who'd Google it? Who's good at Googling? I mean, you're on your phones all day, all of you. What was that? No signal. Oh, there's no signal. Okay, well, I've got, I've got, I've got, um, I've got internet, so... Because I'm an artist. I'm allowed. Okay, all right. So I'm going to just quickly Google while okay. Fatia busts. T- you, yeah, you just okay. tell him anything. I'll just... Okay, I'll tell you. Um... I don't know what to say. Um, so, yeah, this is a really good organisation. So a lot of... Uh, yeah, they facilitate and work with refugees that were in the arts before they were displaced. Is that the right term? Displacement? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and so you have, like, comedians, artists, like, painters, um, uh, spoken word, poetry, performance art. I think you've busted by saying what you just said before. Oh, did I, I sort of meant more I like repeat, I, yeah, oh. I think more like a verse of something from Bob Dylan when I think of oh, busking I don't like Bob Dylan I'm more of like I, I know some Arabic music do you want me to do that? You're, yes no man I'm not doing that oh, damn Are you I do, I do know do you know um, do you know that I'm talking to the Moroccan sorry guys do you know um, Zina do you know that song hey Zina Fina. do you know that one Zina Babylon who, know, who said yeah you do know it. Are you Moroccan? She embarrassed us. <laughs> we must kill her. No, I'm joking. That's what my mum does. Because we've got... Listen, let me just tell you something while she's doing that. We've got... <laughs> one of, our family's very mixed. We all, like, look different. Like, my sister, she's on the wear hijab. She's got Afro-Caribbean hair, but she's got really pale white skin. Um, and then me, I've got, like, linen and cotton hair. Do you know what I mean? But... Um, <laughs> 
But yeah, and then my brother, he's dark skinned, so he looks like a, a black man, right? So then, like, um, I remember the neighbor said to my mum once, she goes, Oh, yeah, um, um, is he the postman's son? I'm like, yeah, and you know, like, that's a, that's a common saying we have here in England, right? And she's like, my mum's called me, she's like, Fetiha, we must kill her. I was like, why? She's like, if she tells your father, it's over. I'm like, but he's your son and he's his son. She's like, she called me a whore. I was like, no, she didn't. That's just how English people talk, relax. So that's why I threatened to kill everyone. It's my mum's fault, all right? So, did you find it? I think so. Um, I think it's Bindi Street. Is that a thing? No. Okay. Um, (laughs) That's it, Queen Elizabeth Hall. Oh, thank you. QE2. 8 p.m. The QE2 is a cruise ship. Don't go on that. (laughs) I think it's. And do you know what? The funny thing about the QE2 is it's closed. Uh, Much like the, the the King's Palace. The QE2 is a is a is a defunct cruise ship where you can see Fatia performing on Sunday. <laughs> or you could try your luck at the Queen Elizabeth Hall, but I'm going to get in touch with Counterpoints because they sound right up my street. Yeah, they're and really I'd love good. to do something with them. They're really, and it's nice to meet um, other, you know, other comedians like myself. Yeah. And obviously the sense of humour is different. Like, I'm bilingual, I'm fluent in the Moroccan dialect. And, but the, and I get asked to do, like, Moroccan shows in comedy. Comedy, comedy. Yeah. I can't speak English, brother, innit? It's the Arab, it wants to come out. It's like, Aah! But, um, yeah, so I get asked to do um, comedy shows in, in the Moroccan dialect, but I can't. I can, but it's just not. It, it's different. The you sense yeah. of humour is different. Yeah, I get it. Do you know it. what I mean? They want me to be like, oh, I'm fat, and that makes them cry. <laughs> like, honestly, they'll be laughing. I do an intelligent joke. They're like, what is this? What is this? So, like, it's a bit... T- the sense of humour is different. It's a bit tough. But I do get a lot of audience, um, North African, Arabs, coming to my shows and stuff like that so that's nice well listen we will come and see your show are you doing a show at the Edinburgh Festival this year? no I'm not but I am doing a work in progress great um, well where can we see your work in progress? If you, it's just on my in Instagram I've got a bio in my bio there's a link it's got all my shows great okay yeah. so we'll look on your Instagram thank you and we'll come and check out your shows now we crack on with the comedy would you like to hear some sound of comedy? Yeah! <laughs> please welcome to the microphone are you ready? yeah please welcome to the microphone <laughs> Fatia El Ghori. So, um, salam alaikum. Thank you for coming to the new to Islam meeting, guys. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, um, as Deborah said, uh, my name is Fatia El Ghori, um, but my surname's got a H in it. It's a silent H, but a lot of people pronounce it, so they always call me El Ghori. And I come from uh, the deep, deep Middle East of Hackney. Do we have any Hackney people in? <laughs> Annette? You know it, bruv. Um, I'm, also, <laughs> I'm also North African. Do we have any North Africans or Arabs? <laughs> that was just for you, bruv. Just for you. Where are you from? Like, sorry, what is your um, heritage? Oh, she's my cousin. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I told my fucking family not to turn up, innit? But they have to turn up. They have to come. So, um, so yeah, I'm Moroccan. Has anybody ever been Morocco? Has anybody been Ladbroke Grove? <laughs> You've also been to Morocco. 
there's loads of us there. And um, speaking of loads of us, like I've got a massive family. I've got five brothers and seven sisters, right? I know, it's like Arabian Netflix and chill in my house, isn't it? <laughs> so um, my brothers, I've got uh, Muhammad, Rashid, Dries, Mustafa, Abdesalam. That's my first brother's name. And um, my oldest brother, he lives in Paris, France. And like, we go, me and my mum go and visit him like regularly. But um, they're always so rude to us at passport control, you know. Like, I don't, I don't know why, you know what I'm saying. But, um, <laughs> but they're so rude. And all the police in France have guns. So as they're checking our luggage, they'll call a police officer over. I hope no one's recording me. You're not recording me, are you, Habibti? You know, because my mum don't know I'm here, isn't it? So don't record me. You'll get me in trouble. Um, she does know I'm here. I'm joking. Yeah, she does. Honestly, I say, she's like, she calls me. She's like, Fatiha, where are you? I'm like, Mom, I'm just coming back from a gig. She's like, you mean the laughing? I'm like, no, it's a gig. It's a gig, Mom. That's, honestly, that's what she does. Well, one, I'm just digressing here. But one time, she fell out with my sister. They had a bit of an argument. Or, no, she was telling me stuff about something my sister said. And I got pissed off. And I goes, tell her to piss off. I've had enough of her shit. And my mum was like, I, I will never tell her to piss in the off. <laughs> like, you know, all <laughs> that cuts the words up, you know. So, yeah. So, um, so, anyway, all the police in France have guns, yeah? So, like, they call over a police officer, like, to try to intimidate us. And then, like, he comes over and he starts, like, cocking his gun and that, yeah? And my mum turns around to me in Arabic and she's like, Fatiha, tell him. We are Muslim. We are not scared of death. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're not scared of death. I'm shitting my hijab, innit? <laughs> and then, like, he turns around. He goes, ho, 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 right? <laughs> He's like, what did she say? And I'm like, oh, viva la France. <laughs> Honestly. And, um... Sometimes I go on my own, and they're like, we're going to have to frisk you. And I go, all right. And then they get a woman, and then, like, she starts at the top. And, like, as she gets to the bottom, I'm like, woo! <laughs> She's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm okay, but you owe me a dowry now, innit? <laughs> innit? We've got to go halves on my mortgage. Like, when they search you, this is the maximum amount of touch they're supposed to have. My girl, she was needing bread, innit? <laughs> I was like, this ain't Bake Off, and you ain't Paul Hollywood. Fuck off, bruv. <laughs> Get out. So, so um, another thing about me, um, I'm 42 years old. I don't look at it, innit? See what happens when you pray five times a day. I'll be doing conversions in the break. Don't tell her. <laughs> if anybody's interested. Um, so when I was like 20, I think, yeah, but in my 20s, I said to my mum, I goes, oh, listen, um, I want to get married, like, sort it out. <laughs> and it, efficient. And she was like, Fatiha, you will never, ever, ever get married, because I'm a mafi bitch, innit? Proper mafi. So then I waited like 10 years, and then I got married, and I got divorced, and I got married again, and I got divorced again, and the moral of the story is never challenge me. So, yeah, so I'm single and ready to halal mingle. <laughs> Do we have any single people in? Woo! Yeah, what's the matter with you? Do you not have any cousins? <laughs> I'll sort you out. So, um, so Muslims have dating apps, right? So, like, um, 
you know Tinder, and we got Minder. I know it's original, isn't it? And I get a message from this guy, right? And his um, screen name was Bilal Big Bollocks. <laughs> I know, I know. It's falling in love, isn't it? It's lovely. Isn't it? And he goes to me, I'm looking for a woman that's good in the kitchen and good in the bedroom. And I was like, bruv, I'm a beast in the bedroom. You can't handle me. I can sleep 12 hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> but the worst... Um, the worst screen name I ever see was the Persian insertion. <laughs> I know, I wish I was joking. This is proper my life, bruv, I swear down. Like, honestly, anyway, I'm vegetarian now, but... Um... <laughs> and he's going to me, uh, he goes to me, are those your real pictures? And I was like, no, I just followed a fat girl for five months, took loads of pictures of her, and then uploaded them on a dating app, you prick! <laughs> These guys. Okay, so listen, um, I think my time's up now, isn't it? Or not? Is it not? Can I go? Oh, oh bruv, I've got, I've got an hour. Anyway, don't, don't worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> so I carry on, yeah? I, okay, I'll do a few. Yeah, sure. Sure, why not? Um, I'm just checking the time, because you know, like, you've got to check the time, yeah? Because if you run over, they get pissed off in the back, innit? And then they call you a bitch, yeah? <laughs> Innocent, and then I punch him in the fucking face. And then they call the old Bill, and the old Bill turns up. I'm like, sorry, I don't speak English. Uh, just to be clear, like, King's Place have never punched anyone for running over or called anyone a bitch. I just need... It's a very, very fancy art centre. It's true. It's true. That they're the most they do... Because I've run over here a lot, so I know what they do. Oh. It's, it's just some mildly passive-aggressive looks. And yeah, that to you. Occasionally a comment on... I, I, yeah. That's to her, innit? Or if I just go like this to them, they cry. <laughs> Fucking, they call the police, they go, she punched me in the eye. I'm like, bruv, I just chested you, innit? Heba, oh, Heba, I would take this more seriously if, oh, sorry. if you'd... No, I would take this more seriously if I thought you'd been to King's Place before, but I know you haven't, because you went, you went to the King's Palace Chinese restaurant. And I feel like if you'd had experience with the King's Place staff... You would have known that it was in King's Cross, as the name implies. The King's is the giveaway. The King's. It, Welling, Welling Place, that's in Welling. I know. But the Welling Palace Chinese restaurant, ironically, is next door. No way. You see, like, it's the food, innit? I just follow the food. Do you know what I'm saying? I do, I do anything for food. I'm doing this for food, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Again, we are paying her a fee. I've never had to do, like, asterisks. Term legal asterisks on anyone stand-up ever on the show before, but do feel just for my own self-protection. Do you know when you see, like, acts on TV and it's like a magician revealing their tricks? <laughs> She's revealing all my tricks. So do you want me to do more or shall I sit my big gasp? <laughs> I feel like we've done a... Fatty El Gori, everybody! <laughs> you have been listening to The Guilty Feminists with me, Deborah Francis. <laughs>
Yeah. I'll just say this part. Does anyone not know this show, by the way? Has anyone never heard the podcast? What? Sorry? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Does anyone not know the podcast, by the way? Just give us a cheer. Yeah, it's not like this normally. Okay. <laughs> normally I do an introduction and say what the podcast is about. It's about feminism and it's funny. Okay, that's it. I'll say that later. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.